Oh, hi. Hello, and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be forced to endure the pain of benign prostatic hyperplasia if you leaked the idea that you missed this week's show. Build lasting supporter relationships. Craig Grella and Wendy Levine, both from Salsa Labs, want you to build strong relationships all the time, not only when you're fundraising. Their savvy strategies come from their own work building relationships for Salsa. This is part of our 21 NTC coverage. And love your donors using data. Nonprofit radio coverage of 21 NTC continues. When you are fundraising, data that tells us restoring your donors' sense of well-being and identity will increase their giving and engagement. There's a lot of fascinating research to unpack and apply. So join Jen Shang, the world's only philanthropic psychologist from the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy, and Shoni Field from the British Columbia SPCA. On Tony's Take Two, Planned Giving Accelerator. We're sponsored by Turn Two Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Here is Build Lasting Supporter Relationships. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 21 NTC, the 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're sponsored at 21 NTC by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. My guests now are Craig Grella and Wendy Levine. Craig is content marketer at Salsa Labs, and Wendy is marketing director at Salsa Labs. Craig Grella, Wendy Levine, welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Oh, my pleasure to have you both. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us, your expertise on beyond fundraising, building lasting relationships with your supporters. Wendy, let's start with you. What, what uh, as an overview, what could nonprofits be doing better relationship-wise, do you two feel? So we work with lots of nonprofits, and I'll just start by saying, you know, as a marketing team, it's also we're kind of in a, a unique position because we are responsible for marketing salsa, doing all the normal things that, you know, a marketing team does. But because our software helps nonprofits market their mission and engage with donors, we often work with those nonprofit clients to help them in their marketing efforts. So that was the genesis of this um, workshop for the N10 conference, because when we work with nonprofits, we see so many of them doing so many amazing things. Um, and it, yet there are, everyone has their, <coughs> excuse me, their, their holes or their blind spots in their, in their process. So our workshop dealt with um, formalizing a content development process and a content calendar. Um, Craig does this for Salsa. So he does a great job of, you know, making sure that we are talking to 
the right people at the right time, that we have the right content in terms of blog posts and e-guides and social posts. And that's a lot of work. So when a nonprofit who may not have a whole marketing team um, like we do tries to do those things, um, sometimes things get missed. So our workshop was all about providing people content calendar templates and talking to them about things that they can do to make the whole process of building new content easier. We talked about reusing old content, um, repurposing content that you had developed before, how to improve message targeting and how to do all of those things in uh, simple ways that can be done with, with smaller teams. Well, and we're going to talk about those things here. You're not, you're not going to just tease. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to let you just tease nonprofit radio listeners and say, well, this is what we talked about, but uh, we're not talking about it here. So we're going to talk about those things too. Absolutely. Um, so uh, Craig, so you are, you are, it sounds like you are the writer, the content marketer for Salsa, and we can all benefit from the wisdom of the corporate marketing team at Salsa. Yes? Yes, definitely. I, I think to kind of piggyback on on what Wendy was saying, the impetus for this uh, this presentation was, I think nonprofits can learn from the more corporate marketing. I think even if you look at advocacy, I think nonprofits can learn from uh, political advocacy, which is kind of, you know, they use their email lists like ATM machines sometimes. That's the way it feels like. Uh, and then I think some, you have a background in the democratic party in Pennsylvania, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and I think really it happens on both sides of the aisle. I think when you look at a lot of, uh, advocacy campaigns, a lot of political campaigns, I think they tend to look at their lists in that way. They go to their lists more often with fundraising than other messages, or they wrap their message in a fundraising appeal. I think nonprofits can kind of get stuck in that rut as well, where, uh, they're using their list more often as appeals. So this presentation was a way for us to say, uh, how do you develop those deeper relationships? How do you go beyond just the fundraising appeal? How do you engage all year long? How do you uh, take that relationship to the next level? Or maybe uh, change relationships wherever your supporters are with you in their relationship now. Maybe there's a way to move them to a different relationship that uh, involves other type of work or uh, a different relationship with your org. So that was kind of the idea behind the presentation and, and how we put together uh, the different steps and tips and things like that. Now, I suspect you know most orgs are doing some of this. Like, you know, uh, let's let's assume that an organization has a, a newsletter, whether it's digital or print, you know, and they may or may not include an appeal. But you know, I'd like to think that there are messages going out that that aren't all that aren't all fundraising related. I mean, but you're you're sounds like you and Wendy would like us to put this into a coordinated calendar. So we're not just thinking of it at the beginning of the month. What are we going to do this month or, you I, know, even the beginning of the quarter, but we have it laid out for like a year or something. Uh, it, uh, and so be more sophisticated about it. But then also it sounds like you're encouraging a, a good amount of messaging. That's not fundraising related, has no appeal affiliated with it. It's just in, it's purely informative. Is that okay? Is that, are we, so, are we wasting, you don't feel like we're wasting opportunities to communicate? No. Well, sorry, wasting opportunities to fundraise if we, if we send something out that doesn't have an appeal in it? No, absolutely. I think, um, and, and this became 
I think this came more into focus when the pandemic hit as well. Um, some organizations I actually had an easier time fundraising, but many had a more difficult time fundraising. It really depended on where they were and what what their mission was. But um, it's it, we always talk about engaging with your supporters outside of fundraising and the importance of connecting with your supporters, making sure they um, are um, are connected with your organization in a way that makes them. Um, we use the term sticky, you know, they, they're, they're, they're connected to you and, and they're not going to just, you know, I'm going to give you money this month. I'm going to give somebody else money next month. I know who you are. I know who your people are. I really think that what you're doing is great. Um, I, I understand, you know, your mission and, and how you work with people. Uh, I, I know the names of some of your staff members. Um, the more that you can connect, with those supporters, the more they're going to stay with you, the more they're going to give when they can, they're going to volunteer when they can. And that became even more important during the pandemic because some people weren't able to give. Some organizations needed people to give more. And, you know, appealing to um, people's um, connection with the organization that you've built up over time is is just so important. And not just now, but but even more so now, I think. And I think for me, it's it's kind of human nature, right? You know, the first time you meet someone, you're not going to ask them to marry you right there on the spot. I think there's got to be that relationship development. Uh, there are different steps along the line, obviously, that you need to take to get to know each other better. And I think the same is true for any kind of communication, whether you're at uh, a for-profit company, a Fortune 500 company, or a mom-and-pop uh, type of nonprofit. Uh Obviously, you have a little bit of a head start because that person has found you. Maybe they joined your list or maybe they came to an event, whether it's in person or virtual. So you have a little bit of interest there. But with so much noise out there these days, whether you're, you're trying to connect on social media or even through a podcast, there's, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. And, and you have to rise above that. And you rise above that by, by maintaining that constant relationship. And, and you can't only ask for money. It can't only be volunteer appeals. It can't only be, you know, me, 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 me. I need, I need, I need. You have to find uh, a little bit of the reasons why those people connected with you and, and speak to that. And, and you have to offer a little bit of yourself too. And there are lots of ways that, that nonprofits can do that. And, um, we like to, like you said at the beginning, I think at this question was, uh, we do like to be organized with that. Uh, it's a matter of sometimes nonprofits just looking at what they have. You know, uh, oftentimes when I've taught course, courses on uh, how to create content, one of the things I hear most often is I, I don't know what to write or I don't know what kind of content to put out there, what will resonate with people. And uh, so that holds them back and then they do nothing. Uh, and that's obviously not a solution. So where we start with with this presentation and where we like to start in general is to just go through the content you've created through the years. We tell nonprofits, you've probably got hundreds, if not thousands of pieces of content out there. Look at your old blog posts. Look at some of the presentations you've done. If you've gone to conferences or presented, look at your social media posts. Look at documents you've put together. If If you have programs, you probably have program information put some of that together and turn it into something written that you can offer people uh, and, and start there. And then once you've gathered all that information, put it together in a content calendar and be really deliberate about how you're exposing that material 
to your audience in order so that it makes sense and it drives a little bit of engagement. Which is, which is much easier to lay out when you see it in a calendar rather than just, you're just kind of thinking, well, I will do this in May and then this will be in June and, you know, but you can be more, you're more deliberate about it more, I think more sophisticated about it. If you, if you, when you commit something to writing, it makes, it makes you think about it more. That's exactly so right. I'll have a written, yeah. And, and not only that, but you can also add responsibility. And uh, whether you have a big team or a small team, you can put names to the tasks that people need to do. You know, Tony's going to do this article by this date and get it up on social by this date. And, and there's a little bit of a responsibility there uh, for the work that you're doing, which I think makes people complete those tasks uh, in, a, in a better way. Okay. Yeah. And frankly, I think it makes it almost easier and simpler so that, you, you know, it, it doesn't seem like quite as big of a mountain to climb. You know, I've got all this content to create for this quarter or this year um, when it's on a piece of paper or, or in a spreadsheet. And it's something that just seems more manageable, frankly. Okay. Wendy, anything you want to add about uh, the content calendar before we move on to segmenting your, your supporters? No, go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm willing. No, it's okay. No. <laughs> You feel like we covered the content calendar enough? I'm not trying to. Yeah, no, I think so. I think it's it's okay. something that a lot of nonprofits um, do, um, but we also see a lot of nonprofits that don't do a content calendar, and it's it's not difficult. It's just taking that first step. Um, so we provided people with templates, but just just getting it down and finding a way to formalize the process of putting your content together. It's not that difficult, and it makes a huge difference. It helps you organize, too. So you can see blog post, you know, maybe some other section on the website, newsletter, email, social, social yeah. Facebook, social Instagram, social, you know, Twitter, et cetera. And it also helps you identify holes in your content. So, for example, um, just as an example, we have some uh, clients who um, whose mission is focused on uh, raising funds for um, medical research for a certain condition or, or issue. And they have content that they create for uh, patients and their families, but they also have content that they create for, um, you know, medical experts and they'll run medical conferences for doctors. Uh, so um, understanding that they've created enough content for each of those groups is also important and having it in a calendar um, so you're, you know, another organization might have volunteer um, content aimed at volunteers and content aimed at, at supporters or, or donors um, or community members. So just seeing that written right. out, however, figuring out where your holes are. Can help. However you're going to segment, right. It, yeah. it, it's, it's all very orderly. Now you mentioned templates. Uh, I don't like to tease nonprofit radio listeners without, uh, without providing the substance. So can we get this template? Is this somewhere on Salsa site or somewhere else? What? Where? Yeah, so we we put up a landing page that's completely ungated uh, as part of the NTC presentation. Uh, it's salsalabs.com forward slash 21 NTC. And there's a little bit of a workbook that goes with the presentation. And then, of course, the presentation slides, uh, PowerPoint and PDF, I think. Uh, and the workbook falls along the different sections of the presentation. So the first section is the, what we just talked about, which is to uh, figure out what you have, you know, go through, take stock of your, your content, your library, that kind of thing. Uh, the second part talks about 
uh, putting together your calendar and segmenting. And then the third part jumps into really getting organized and then engaging or further engaging, going a little bit further than what you've done in the past. And to kind of tag on to the last part you, you said about, or what Wendy said about the content calendar, oftentimes we see nonprofits look for these templates uh, and they're really just hashtags. You know, if if the only communication you're doing on social media is to put up uh, a post about St. Patty's Day or Easter or things like that, you need to go a little bit further yeah, in your engagement. That's, that's not that's not educating folks. That's much right on your on your mission, your work, and your values. That's, and that's it's not right. going to make them sticky because they can get Easter messages anywhere. That's right, right. and uh, they likely are. <laughs> and they are. I, I will tell you though that the most engagement we get on our social uh, posts are when we post pictures of our dog. That's so right. There is some value. To that. <laughs> All right, well, I don't know what that says about the Salsa Labs content. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Talking to the content team, so I'm not yeah. going <laughs> to. Um, all right, we'll leave that there. Salsalabs.com forward slash 21NTC for the, for the template that Craig just talked us through. Let's go to um, let's, a little on segmentation. Um, who, wants to, who wants to kick us off the, the value of and the depth that you should go to? Who, who wants to? Yeah, sure, I'll take it. When it comes to segmentation, the idea is to be able to understand which audience member wants to receive which message at what time and by what medium. There are a lot of different mediums we can deliver messages through these days. And everyone's busy. And like I said before, there's a lot of noise. So you need to find your way through that noise. And the way we believe you do it is through personalization. If you can understand who wants to receive the message, when they want to receive it and where they want to receive it, you will have a higher engagement with that person. And this is kind of goes back to the idea of just shooting out a St. Patty's Day message, right? I mean, you might get 50 or 60 likes, but if those people never volunteer or they never donate or they never come to an event, what's the point? Um, you know, it may be, hey, let's put out a nice message and that's fine. But at some point you need to generate people to support your mission, whatever that means. So we like to segment in a couple different ways. One, of course, is looking at what you have uh, in your own CRM or your own list and trying to understand demographics about that person and to be able to split them into some sort of discernible category. You know, hey, we've got donors here, we have volunteers, or we have people who just engage with us on social media. And then if you are doing a lot of sharing on social, which many groups are, really trying to match your organization's message to the right social network. And you've got people out there who, you know, uh, maybe they have a very intelligent uh, audience, or maybe they have a very specific demographic in their audience, and they're completely lining up to the wrong network and sharing a message at the wrong time. Maybe it's they're sharing it once instead of sharing it four times over a month or two months so that different people see that message. So uh, part of the workbook that we put together is uh, going a few different places through your analytics and really understanding what your audience looks like and taking some critical uh, peaks at your audience and the demographics of your audience, looking through your CRM and uh, figuring out what's important to your organization and how do you uh, label those people so that you understand the message that they want, where they're going to be, and then where you can get that message to them. When do you want to add to segmentation? Yeah, I mean, there's it, it, it's it's a little bit science and a little bit art, frankly. Mm-hmm. I think so. 
there's a balance between having too many segments and too many groups and having too few segments or groups. So um, if you've got groups of supporters or so many groups of supporters that you're sending very similar messages to some of the groups, then you probably have too many. Um, it may be difficult to handle all the messaging. Uh, if you have too few groups, the messages aren't targeted enough, aren't interesting enough to each of those groups. So as you know, Craig was talking about measuring engagement on social media and, and looking at analytics for your emails and things like that. And that's very important. And that's all the science part. And then there's a little bit of art uh, in terms of, you know, where the messaging can be split, uh, where the different messages make the most difference, um, how you engage with these folks, what words you use, what you test. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both and it just takes, you know, not, nonprofits know their supporters, right? So it's really just a matter of sitting down and, and looking at um, where they're engaging, what they're saying on social media and, and, you know, what they're reacting to when, when you send them emails or messages. Well, let's probe that a little further, Wendy, in terms of knowing, knowing your people. Suppose, you know, you know something, you know, some people prefer email over phone calls or, or written mail over email, et cetera. But, um, and you can gauge some depth of interest by, uh, by giving history, right? If, if uh, Humane Society gets donations when cat appeals from certain people and dog appeals, I'm making this very simple, but you know, so then you know who your dog people and your cat people are, but yep. suppose you want to go a little further, like uh, you know, who wants to engage on Instagram or which of our programs appeal to you, you know? Uh, so I'm envisioning like survey is one possibility. Yep. What else, how else we still have a few minutes left, yeah, okay, so that's, but you glean how to, how to segment. That's a really good question. It's actually something we addressed in the presentation uh, uh, at N10. Um, you're right. A survey is one way. And uh, we made some recommendations, you know, longer surveys where you, where you ask more than, say, three or four questions um, are something you shouldn't do a lot of. And when you do, you should probably combine it with some sort of incentive. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to pay people to take the survey. But, um, you know, hey, we'll send you a, a button or a bumper sticker, you know, if you fill out our survey, or this is why it's really important, you know, um, at least, you know, appealing to, to their, uh, their interest in your cause. Um, but we also like the kind of one question asks in emails uh, is another way to do it. So if you're sending emails to people, you can ask a question in the email, depending on the tool that you're using, you can put a link or button in the email and say, hey, um, do you have a cat or a dog or both, you know, at home? Are you a, are you a cat parent, a dog parent? <laughs> um, have them click on that button. And then now they're in a group. And the next time you send an email out, they either get a cat picture or a dog picture at the top of the email. Um, and it makes a huge difference in engagement. Um, we talk a little bit also about um, polls on social media. So that's not going to give you um, the, that's not going to put a particular person in a group but it can give you information on what people are interested in. So if you're going to focus on um, uh, one, you know, if you're putting together an advocacy petition and uh, you know, you need to understand where people are focused or what they're most interested in, that can help also. Um, but um, putting a process in place so that your staff understands what kind of data you're collecting so that when they bring up a donor record, because they're talking to the donor or they're about to meet the donor 
at an event. Um, hopefully we're all doing that soon. Um, they can look and say, oh, hey, you know, we're missing this one piece of information or these two pieces of information. So I'm going to make a note and I'm going to ask them that when I meet with them and I'm going to put it in there and everyone needs to know to collect that information. Um, and it, it just makes it easier. And, you, and there's a whole process we won't go into now, but there's a whole process of right figuring out what information is important um, and, and which ones, which pieces of information should affect the message that you're sending. You, a couple years ago, I think, <clears throat> Uh, last week feels like a couple of years ago sometimes, but yeah. a couple of years ago, you, uh, Tony, you did a, a podcast on integrating CRM with your email marketing and other digital. Yeah, efforts. that was another, that was another NTC of like maybe 2017, 18, something like that. Yeah. I think it was a while ago, but I, I you know, it's funny that a well, nonprofit radio listener. Thank you very see much. That? Yeah. Right, love it. it. It's a great episode. And I think it, it's important here because uh, obviously, Salsa is a product that tries to put together all these different marketing mediums and they work well with each other. And, and there are other um, products out on the market, but we also find that a lot of nonprofits have these disparate solutions and it makes things harder. It makes collecting data harder. It makes engaging harder. And when you have that uh, system that pulls it all together, it makes this process easier because when you send an email and someone clicks on it, you get that information in your CRM. So these one question surveys that Wendy is talking about, you can do a survey with a cat picture and someone clicks on it, you capture that data. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't necessarily have to go to a full-blown mail poll or a social media poll. You can do these things when your systems are integrated and pull that information between those systems. And then when you've got the information in your CRM, you can then pull that information automatically into your email without having to upload or download or move data around. So it, it, works on two ways. One, it helps you uh, understand and track the data, but it also helps you personalize the emails that you do send. I think if if nothing else, uh, nonprofits should know, just act, just just do it. If you're not sure where to start, just you know, get a message out there and, and just do it and then measure and track. And, and along the lines of what Wendy said, if you are missing some information, just ask, just ask for it. Create a message and, and send a note and Remember when you do get that data to plug it back into your system so that you can use it uh, in, in, in many ways in the future. So that's the important part too. We're going to leave it there. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Great. Craig Grella. Thank you, Johnny. My, my pleasure. Craig Grella, content marketer, Salsa Labs. Wendy Levine, marketing director at Salsa Labs. Thanks to each of you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. My, my pleasure to have you. And thank you for being with Nonprofit radio coverage of 21 NTC, the 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference, where we are sponsored by 20, uh, we are sponsored by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. It's time for a break. Turn2 Communications. Relationships. We just talked about lasting relationships, the importance of building them. Turn2 has them. They've got the relationships with journalists. So when there's something fundraising related or philanthropic related or even more broadly nonprofit related, those journalists are going to be picking up the phone when Turn2 calls them with you, your name, as a potential source. Source of quotes, source of background, source of help. 
they pick up the phone because they've got a relationship with turn two. It's the relationships that get leveraged for your benefit. Their turn two communications, turn hyphen co. It's time for Tony's take two. I started the second class of planned giving accelerator this week. Through the accelerator, I'm helping nonprofits launch, kick off, inaugurate their planned giving programs. I'm teaching members who join with me for a year, teaching them step by step how to start and grow their planned giving programs. The classes are fun. I look forward to them uh, every week that we get together because there's, there's live trainings and then there's ask me anything's and I also do a podcast for them. Uh, yes, there's a, there's a, there is a podcast that you can't hear. You got to be a member of Plan Giving Accelerator to hear the Plan Giving Accelerator podcast. You, you see the symmetry there. So yes, I do a podcast for them too, but these trainings and, um, of course, so we're getting together for the trainings and they ask me anything's. I look forward to them and rumors are that the members look forward to it too. I've, I've heard rumors to that effect. So it's, it's all, uh, it's it's really uh, very it's very gratifying, rewarding. Um, it's fun, and folks are starting their plan giving programs. And in the first class, it started in January. They're already getting gifts. There's already a couple of nonprofits that each have a couple of gift commitments already, just three months into the twelve month program. So that makes it enormously gratifying. I'm getting. Uh, um, my uh, synesthesia is kicking in. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about these groups that uh, that already have commitments only three months into the thing. So that's Plan Giving Accelerator. If you think you might be interested in joining the next class, it starts July 1st. And all the info is at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. Check it out for Pete's sake. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got Buku, but loads more time for nonprofit radio. Here is Love Your Donors Using Data. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 21 NTC. You know what that is. It's the 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're sponsored at 21 NTC by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. With me now are Shoni Field and Jen Shang. Shoni is Chief Development Officer at the British Columbia Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, SPCA. And Jen Shang is a professor and a philanthropic psychologist at the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy. Shoni, welcome to the show. Jen, welcome back. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, in uh, talking uh, before we started recording, uh, it came to my attention that Jen Shang now has a has a British accent, which she did not have when she was on nonprofit radio many years ago when she was at uh, Indiana University. So we'll we'll get to enjoy that. And you've been what? How many years in the UK now, Jen? Eight years. Eight years with Adrian Sargent. I assume he's still at the institute. Oh yeah, still living in my house too. <laughs> living in your house. Oh. <laughs> Oh, you don't know we're married. Sorry. Oh, you're more than uh, philanthropic <laughs> partners. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Were you married when were you married to Adrian when you were on the show last uh, years no. ago? No. Really? <laughs> the study of philanthropic psychology brought you together. Absolutely. Really. And fundraising. Yeah. Fundraising. Fundraising brought you together. That's wild. Well, it's a it's a relationship business. So look at you. <laughs> 
taken the, you've taken your own science to uh, to heart and to deeper depth than uh, than most people do. Well, well, give uh, give Adrian my regards. Tell him absolutely. Tell him I say hello and and uh, hello from Nonprofit Radio. He's been a guest also. Wow, look at that. Interesting. Okay. And uh, for those uh, now, we're we're shooting with video. Uh, Jen has the uh, suitable uh, professorial background. There's papers and thick books everywhere. It's uh, it's really it's really quite bad. Oh yeah, there's there's ghost faces up on top, um, and a crucifix also. All right, so uh, the place is blessed. You can make up anything about what we've got in the background, Tony. It's, it's deep. a blessed mess. Yes. Well, Shoni, yours is uh, yours is. Uh, I don't want to say austere. It's just, uh, it's proper. You know, you got a couple of framed items, then you got a nice, uh, um, um, what do we call those windows? Uh, skylight. Skylight, of course. Thank you. At 59. It's terrible yes. for when there's video because it makes the light really horrible. But oh, for, for radio, uh, it's just fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yours is, uh, yours is a, uh, like a sort of a gallery background. That's the way I would say. And Shen's is definitely, uh, Shen's. Jen's is definitely a, uh, professorial background okay we're talking about loving your donors your uh, your ntc topic is love your donors using data so let, let's start with uh professor shang our our philanthropic psychologist one of are you the only philanthropic psychologist in the world or we're just the first i haven't heard anybody else calling themselves philanthropic psychologists <laughs> okay so you're both the first and uh and the only first and only philanthropic psychologist okay i love that you're married to adrian Sargent. wow that's you really took fundraising to new it's heights a small, small world fundraising we all know each other <laughs> new heights new depths yes but they know each other quite well um all right so jen um what uh what can we learn from here? What, 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 what are we not doing well enough with data that you want nonprofits to do better? Um, the, the first thing that we do that we don't think nonprofits have spent a lot of time understanding is how people um, describe their own identities. And when I say when people describe their own identities, I don't mean just how people describe themselves when they give as a supporter or as a donor, but how people describe themselves as a person outside of giving. Because research after research after research after research, what we found is that the descriptors that people use to describe themselves as a person are not always the same as the descriptors that they use to describe themselves when they think about themselves as a supporter. So not understanding who is the person behind the giving, I personally think is a huge missing opportunity for nonprofits to develop deeper relationship with their supporters. And, and what are some of these uh, disassociations or, uh, or incongruencies between the way people identify themselves generally and the way they identify themselves uh, as, as donors? So one of the most consistent findings that we saw pretty much in all the data sets we have is that when people describe themselves as a person, they like to describe the morality of themselves. And usually there are nine highest frequency words that people use to describe their own morality. And they are kind and caring and compassionate, generous, fair, and so forth. And 
for most charities, you would see quite a large collection of these moral words in people's self descriptors, but usually you see a smaller collection of these moral words appearing when people describe themselves as a supporter. So what that says to me is that when nonprofits communicate with supporters are about giving, they haven't connected the giving to their sense of being a kind and caring and compassionate person as well as they could be. Usually, you see the word generous show up, and you see the word helpful show us show up. In the descriptor of the supporters, but not the rest of the moral words. And there's evidence that using more of the moral descriptors that the individuals would use will increase their giving. Not only it increases their giving, it also increases their psychological well-being, and that is the real missing opportunity here. So when people give out of their kindness and out of their compassion, they feel better, even when they give the same amount of money. You've you've studied this, really? Absolutely. You can you can gauge and Shoni, we're going to come to you, of course. I I I, I know there's a practical application at, in British Columbia. I understand. I'm just, I, I want to flesh out. out. <laughs> I want to flesh out the, the the like the limits of the of the science, and then we'll get to the practical application. Absolutely. Um, all right. So. So we can make people feel better about themselves through our non through nonprofits communications through our communications to them, and they will then uh, is it as a result of feeling better, or is it because they feel better? Then they will give more to our cause, or uh, we we just know those two things are correlated, but not necessarily cause and effect. We first communicate with supporters about their、um, being a kind person, and then we see giving increase, and then we measure their psychological well-being, and we see their psychological well-being increases. Okay, so we know that the giving has come first, and then, then from those for whom the giving has increased, you're then you're studying their psychological well-being. Yes. Wow, through our through our communications, through our Uh, uh, is this what? What method of communication do we use? Phone, letter. We have we have field experiments in emails. We have、uh, survey、um, evidence from donors, and we have laboratory experiments from the general population. Okay,、right, let's turn to Shoni for the for the application of this、uh, at the British Columbia SPCA. What did you do there, Shoni? What? How did you take this research and use it? So the and it feels like I'm jumping into the story halfway because it didn't how we got there, but how we used it was、um, we worked with Jen and her team to do、um, surveys and research into our donor base because you know not every donor base is going to have the same characteristics, and so what do animal lovers in British Columbia?、Um, what are their characteristics of how they identify themselves as a A moral person, or in that sort of aspirational sense of self, of where they'd like to, where they'd like to get to, and supporting the SPCA is is a way of getting there for them. So we we looked at our donors and came back with、uh, Jen's team looked at our donors and came and through surveys and research and came back with 
some um, so, some so, uh, levers that resonated stronger than others with our donors. And so then we could go out and test those with um, you know our controls and then testing these levers and see where we um, see if we did in fact um, originally see boost in giving over the long term, then we'll be able to measure retention because I think with psychological well-being would become uh, an increased likelihood of wanting to stick with that relationship that makes you feel great. And so we're able to measure um, with within that field research what then when we put it into, into play, what did get higher responses. And then we've gone back with Jen and her team to study our three tests further and identify how we can build on that. Some of those tests worked better than the others. And so we, that gave us some further um, insight into what we needed to, to dig in on. And I think our, our first error had probably been, we had all this learning and we wanted to use it all, all at once, all at all the same time. And uh, the second sort of round of um, analysis really helped us be more focused. And, and Jen refers to allowing donors to breathe into the moment and just really be in that. And so it allowed it, it allowed us to identify, yes, there's a ton of good things we can do, but here we're going to do three of them and we're going to do them really well and really focused. What were some of the descriptors that you found uh, were, were the levers for your, for your folks? Well, I mean, there's, so there's the sort of descriptors of self that Jen talked about in the, the you know, the generous and loving and kind, um, and, and there's one of those in particular I'll dig into more, but there's also these sort of, um, uh, you know, we call it like vic victorious hope, this sense that there can be, um, that there will be success, that people have had past success in helping rescue animals and they will have future success. And, you know, this comes out of their love for animals. And so we use this victorious hope theme. Um, we, we see, um, personal sacrifice come through. And we're familiar with that from, um, you know, mail, direct mail that said, you know, just for the price of a cup, cup of coffee a day, you could, you know, you could do this or you could do that. That sense of someone giving something up to get this, this outcome that they want. So we, we've used those a lot. And we also saw uh, the word loyal come up uh, a lot more um, than we had than we had recognized was important. And it makes sense because people's relationships with their animals are a lot about loyalty. Um, so it makes sense that they'd also value it as a personal trait, but we've, uh, we had already been doing a lot of work around generous and loving and kind. And we also increased that, that sense of loyalty. And now I, uh, I don't want any frustrated guests on uh, nonprofit radio. So you said uh, I asked you a question that came in the middle, and it and you like you uh, <laughs> you you um, thoughtfully answered answered the question. So thank you, thank you for that. But so, but I'll give you the opportunity now to go back if you want to take a minute and explain how you got into the the uh, Jen's Jen's research. I mean, this is like goes back to way like my beginnings as a fundraiser where right, well, we I. Can't got go, I where I got really frustrated with people's perception of fundraisers as sort of snake oil salesmen. You know, in the nonprofit world, there was the program people who were doing the virtuous work. And then there was the fundraiser people that were, so it was sort of a little like, 
unclean that you were trying yeah. to trick people. Right. And to me, it always felt more like I was helping someone do the work that they couldn't do themselves because their career had taken them in a different path. Like they wanted to save the yeah. environment. They yeah. wanted to help someone with a disease. They want, they loved animals and wanted to help animals, but they trained as an accountant or they trained as, you know, they, they have run their own business. And so that's very, uh, that's it's very it's, it's empathic and uh, magnanimous in, in the same. That they, yeah. they wish they could be doing this good work, but they chose a different path. Yeah. So, yeah. You have, you're like, you're empathetic to them. So this, when I saw Jen's research of this sort of aspirational sense of self, this really struck a chord with me of like, this is the work people wish they could be doing. And we all know how we feel when we get to do something that's really close and really important to us. It feels really great. So that just, it clicked with me, this sense of if we can help people do the work that they really want to do but they haven't been doing because something else does their pay brings their paycheck in and paying yeah. the bills is also important. Then we're all going to be much stronger for it. And just quickly, how did you find Jen's research? I mean, this is, you know, I, I followed it around at conferences for quite okay. a while before reaching out and saying, Hey, yeah. I love this stuff. How can right. I, how can I do more? There's value in conferences. There's like, in, like NTC, there's value Absolutely. in conferences. All right. Jen, this reminds me of the work that you and I talked about when you were back in Indiana, before you were married to Adrian Sargent, and we were talking about a, f a phone research that you had done with public radio. I think it was in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah. And you would describe women. I, I think it was, well, maybe you saw more of an effect. That was it. You described, you saw more of an effect with women when the the caller from the public radio station would use words to say, You've always, as descriptor words, you've always been so loyal to us or you've, you've been such a generous supporter of us. Would you, would you make a gift again? And you, you saw greater giving when the right descriptors were used for those Bloomington, Indiana public radio uh, supporters. Yeah. So this seems like a, a, a continuation. Uh, uh, you know, we're, you're again, it's the way you describe the donors. Yes. It's and it's not just the way that we describe the donors, it's the way that donors describe themselves. themselves right. And then it, this increases their feeling of well-being. Well yeah. Say, yeah. say more about that. How, did you, how do you measure their sense of well-being? So we, um, when we started measuring psychological well-being, we explored a range of different scales. Um, at the moment, the the several scales that we use most often with nonprofits who haven't started our kind of communication with supporters are um, competence, autonomy, and connectedness. Those are the three fundamental human needs that psychologists have studied now for um, decades. They re in, in the giving situation, they refer to um, competence, my ability to make a difference for others, autonomy, I have a voice of my own, I'm not giving out of any social pressure, and connectedness, I give to make me feel connected with the things, the animals, the nature, and the people that I want to connect with. Those three needs, if we lack any one of them, we wouldn't be able to experience well-being. 
So it's most ideal if any given giving act can simultaneously help people fulfill all three psychological well-being, and those are the ones that we have now used most frequently in giving at the range、um, lower than five hundred dollars a year. Shoni mentioned、uh, the next step being reten- measuring retention. Have have you seen in your research whether there there is greater retention among the donors who whose well being we've、uh, we've enhanced? Um. So what we have seen is that um the factors that drives giving are not always the factors. That drives psychological well-being. But if you can communicate with people on only the factors that drives both, then that giving is more sustainable. Okay, wait. All right, say that one more time. You've been studying this for decades, and I'm hearing it for only the second time in like eight years. So okay, say that again. So, so say um, you have five most important factors that drives giving. And you have eight most important factors that drives people's psychological well-being. Your five and your eight are not always the same, but sometimes there are three that are common between these two sets.、Mm-hmm. If you only use those three to communicate with your supporters and increase giving and increase well-being, then you can expect to see repeated increase in giving over time. Because the same three factors both increase giving and increase people's psychological well-being. Okay, I see. It's the intersection of the two little circles, the Venn in the Venn diagram. Okay,、yes. you got to explain this to a layperson, right? Lay pe- <laughs> All right, thank you.、Um, so, were you? <laughs> this is so it's fascinating, fascinating.、Um, plus, you're married to Adrian. I just can't get over this. How this this career has brought you together. I'm just I'm I'm taken by all this.、Um, were you wondering about this? Back when you did the public radio research, were you wondering how the description by the by the callers from the public radio station made the donors feel? You knew you knew at that point. No, you weren't thinking.、Uh, she's shaking her head. You knew at that point that that describing them in certain ways could increase giving. Were you curious then about how it made them feel? Um. I th- I think when I first got into fundraising, it was very important to me to find some psychological motivations that can help nonprofits to raise more money. But once I realized that actually that is not very hard, <laughs> you can pretty much like we're not, raise. We're not, we're not doing a great job in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, raise money by about ten percent really is not hard. Uh, When you know a little bit of psychology, okay, you're being more gracious. All right, of, then I am.、Okay. Of your supporters,、um, but to make the giving experience meaningful for people, to make the giving experience a part of people's lives that they tre- treasure, and to make that giving experience an experience that can allow people to experience the kind of life that they would not otherwise have, those are the things that are hard. Because those are the things that do not have the the focus that they need, and those are the things that 
I pretty much spend the last 10 years after I graduated from Indiana doing because those are the things that gives me meaning in doing what I do. Shoni, let's go back to you. Uh, how, how much increased giving are you seeing? Uh, you've, I'm sure you've quantified this. Or what, what differences are you, are you experiencing? Well, I mean, it, we've, we've now tested it in a number of different areas. We, you know, we test it in, uh, or we, we use it in thank you scripts to our donors. So we don't, you know, that's a long-term test of if we're using this, this language consistently and everything. We, we've played around with the different levers on web forms um, where we see, you know, we can extrapolate over the year if like, okay, if we use this, you know, we have A form and B form on the donor form, what difference are we going to see? Um, so it's, you know, it's hard once it becomes infused in everything you do, you no longer have a test and a control. You have, you have just the way you're doing it now because you roll it out in all these different ways. I will say, I mean, within that first batch of three, we paid for our research. So, you know, we got, we, we made an investment. We, we, we learned a ton. We paid for it right away. And then everything after that is, um, is bonus or, you know, is the, the real gain, but it's, it would be hard to measure at this point because we're not, we haven't infused it in everything, but we no longer have, uh, you, we're, you know, we're getting there, but we no longer have a sort of test and a control where we can say, this is the difference. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jen, where can folks find your research? Is it, is it somewhere that we can say yeah. easily that, uh, most of our research is at the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropies website. They're all freely downloadable. Okay. At the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy. Um, what do you think? Should we leave it there? Do, do we, have we explained this adequately that we've piqued people's interest? I don't know. I have, if you have time, I have one more thing that I, I really think this work is sort of um, a really important bridge between the sort of donor centric the donor's always right we're stroking the ego of the donor and the community centric fundraising models because jen said you know this is i give to connect people give to connect to to other people to the animals and that i think in that sense of connection and love comes a more sustainable way forward because we don't have to have this um artificial barrier between the the donor and the beneficiary and we don't have to talk about well if we privilege the donor then it's at the expense of the beneficiary or vice versa we can talk about it's about making connections as humans and 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 together working for change and i i see it as a really healthy way forward in in that conversation that's a great place to stop we're international for this segment uh, from British Columbia and the UK. From BC is Shoni Field, Chief Development Officer at the SPCA, Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals of British Columbia. And from the UK, Jen Shang, Professor and Philanthropic Psychologist at the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy, where you will find all this valuable, valuable research. Shoni, Jen, thank you very much. Thanks, Tony. What a pleasure. Thank you. Next week, Susan Comfort returns with Team Wellness as 21NTC coverage continues. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, 
Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. They've got the relationships for Pete's sake. Turn-2.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. 